this is not how things are meant to be, or this is not a part of the plan. You might have felt this at some part in your life. I remember in undergrad, I went to Harding University and, and grew up here in Memphis. So I remember, like probably a lot of you have, making the trip from Memphis to Searcy, Arkansas. And after the fall of my junior year, my brother and I had just returned from studying abroad, which means for the summer break and for the fall, there's a lot of our friends that we had not seen in a long time, and we were excited to go visit with them. So we get back from traveling, we rest for a few days, and we jump in our car to make the familiar drive, two-hour drive from Memphis to Searcy. And everything's fine, going all right. We get about halfway, and we come across this accident. An 18-wheeler has lost control, flipped on its side, and is horizontal across the two-lane highway. And when we had gotten there, the police had just showed up, the ambulance, and we just knew this is going to take some time. So we get on our GPS, and we look for an alternate route, and we find one, so we backtrack a few miles, get on this side road, which is paved, everything's fine, you know, we're staying on track, and then eventually that paved road becomes a gravel road, and that gravel road becomes a dirt road, and apparently it just rained a few days before, so you can probably see where this story is going. And eventually we are stuck in mud in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas. We can't even see the main road. And I remember as we called AAA and we're waiting uh, for the tow truck, and we were waiting for hours and hours, I remember thinking this was not a part of the plan. It was supposed to be so much simpler, so much easier. Memphis to Searcy, no big deal. And there's times in our life that I think we ask the same question. Is this really how things are meant to be? You know, we, COVID has changed so many lives for, forever. COVID-19 has led to the loss of people's jobs and, and income. It's led to people moving away or starting new careers. COVID has taken the lives of loved ones, of family members, of friends. And it's changed, changed the directory of some of our lives and right now we mourn and our hearts break for those who are suffering because of discrimination, the lives that have been lost because of prejudice. And, and these events, these crisis moments lead us, this, this inner crying out of, is this really part of the plan, God? Is this really how things are meant to be? And this morning, as we, as we continue our series in the Psalms, David in Psalm 54 has a very similar feeling. In this psalm, if you look at the very beginning of it, if you go to your Bible, we, we find that this psalm is in response or a reflection over a particular moment in David's life. And that is in 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 23. And what happens and what we find in David's life is that he is on the run. He is in the wilderness fleeing from Saul. Saul, who is David's king, who is meant to protect, who is meant to serve him, but is now seeking to take David's life because of jealousy and envy. So we find David in this moment on the run in the wilderness, and for a few brief moments, he has found sanctuary. He has found a hideout in the wilderness. But a people group called the Ziphites have told Saul where he is, and now David is back on the run. And this is what we read in Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. 
I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all of my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Let's start by looking at verse 3. People without regard for God. Or other translations say people who do not set God before them. You know, this phrase kind of goes under the radar, right? When I first read this and I was preparing for the sermon, that's not what first caught my eye. What first caught my eye was God is my sustainer. He is my rock. God, hear me. These strong, powerful statements. But, but not this one. People without regard for God. And I think this is where we need to start because it's laying the groundwork, it's laying the framework that David finds himself in this moment. And that is that David admits fully that things are not, how, things are not meant how they're supposed to be. There is dysfunction, there is crisis in the world because of people who do not set God before themselves. And when we think about this more deeply, Really what we understand from the Bible is that earth is not supposed to be a place where God's presence and kingdom is not fully known and realized. And this leads to chaos. This leads to dysfunction. That there are people in this world who have not set God before themselves, who do not know how to love as God has called us to love, who do not know how to live in a holy community. I think even as Christians, when we try to set God before ourselves, we are not perfect at this and we kind of add on to the problem and that we live in a world of dysfunction, of hurt and heartache. And when you look at Genesis and you think of Adam and Eve, and when they're leaving the garden, we find that their, their next generation, Cain and Abel, things get messy pretty quickly. To say that their relationship was, you know, dysfunctional would be kind of an understatement, right? So we see that these moments of dysfunction, these moments of chaos lead to potential moments of disorientation where we question God's presence, where we feel lost and helpless and hopeless. And we see from the Psalms that this is okay to experience, that there are moments in life that simply shock and surprise us. David in Psalm after Psalm, we see that he has Psalms of disorientation, where he does not feel God's presence, where he feels disconnected. So we know that David is not immune to this, this feeling, what we might be experiencing right now. But we're going to look at Psalm 54 this morning because that's not what happens in this moment of crisis. There is something about what David does, a practice, a, a thing that David remembers that keeps him moving from dysfunction to disorientation. And we, and we know this is evident from the psalm because at the beginning, David says this, Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. So the question we need to ask is how? What is it? How is it that David remains aligned with, connected with God in moments of dysfunction? And, and we get our first step in that direction with what, God, what David says in verse 1, by the name of God. Now, when we think of God's name, hopefully we think of the book of Exodus and the story of Exodus, where we find God's people in crisis who are in slavery and bondage, and they are crying out to God for freedom, for salvation, and we see in Exodus 2 that God hears their cries, he sees them, and he knows them. And if you know the story of Exodus, God comes to Moses at a burning bush and he says, I am going to use you to lead my people out of Egypt and into my presence. And this is the conversation that we find in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, 
And they asked me, what, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God's people cried out and he heard them. And not only that, but he shares with them his name, Yahweh, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. In the book of Exodus, it makes for great VBS content, right? Because we see God's power on display for all to see. He, he rains down the 10 plagues on Egypt. He splits the Red Sea in two. He guides his people with a, a fiery pillar. But yet what makes this moment so powerful, so impactful for the history of God's people is that with salvation, he gives them his name, his, his nature, his, his being. And he does so out of his goodness. He hears his people, he saves them, but he gives them a name to know. He, he lets them in on his goodness and his nature. And what we see is that that nature is not to be forgotten, but is to be remembered. And we see that this is a pivotal moment for God's people, because not only is it a, a moment to look back on and remember it's, it's not this moment that they cling on to, but it guides them into the future. It gives them a direction to move in because they learn that in this moment that God does not change. He will be who he will be. That he is not only a God of the past, but of the present and the future. That God will come alongside them in whatever dysfunction or crisis that they may find themselves in. God's name is a name to be remembered. So I've got some big news to share with the Highland family. Our our own family, the Stafford household, grew a, a month ago. Yes, I'm excited to announce that we now have six chickens living in our backyard. And, you know, we, it's great. We get, we get eggs every day, probably more eggs than we know what to do with. And when we first got them, um, you know, I didn't really see a need to name them. They're chickens. They eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, give us eggs. You know, you don't really like hang out with a chicken. It's just kind of there and, you know, they're nice to have. But my wife really wanted to name the chicken. So she named all six of them. And we've got a Henrietta, we've got a Georgia, we've got a Buckbeak. And honestly, that's about all the names I can remember. And I couldn't tell you which one is which. Um, you know, they're, they're just, they're chickens. And I think it's hard for me to remember one because, you know, I don't really think much about them, but because their names do not really have a, a big connection with who they are. You know, their names do not describe their personality or, or their being. And you might disagree with that. You know, it might have just caused some controversy of if you name your chickens or not. Uh, let me know what your thoughts are. But we see with God that God's name gives us a glimpse into his nature, into who he is. It is a name given for when God's people do not feel his presence, when they feel like they are unheard, and when salvation feels too far away to see this was a name to be remembered. And this is where we might feel right now. This is where we find David in Psalm 54, in a situation where the only thing that David has is a name and what that name means. And what's interesting about this psalm is that we've already talked about that David does not move from dysfunction into disorientation. Something about remembering the name of God, Yahweh, keeps him aligned with God. And what we see is this remembering gives David space to do something that might seem unfamiliar or, or unnatural to us. And, and we find that in verse six of our psalm. 
I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord Yahweh, for it is good. So let's shift gears a bit here. And we need to talk about sacrifice and we need to talk about Leviticus. But don't worry, we're not going to stay too long in the book of Leviticus. And, you know, it's kind of unfamiliar with us. When you read it, it, it seems unfamiliar. There's a lot of laws and codes. But we need to talk about this to really understand what a free will offering is. So when you look at the first seven chapters of Leviticus, and to put it very simply for our purposes this morning, you have offerings, you have sacrifice of thanksgiving and offerings of atonement. So when God's people feel blessed, overwhelmed with what God has done for them, they give sacrifices of thanksgiving. And when God's people have broken his laws, his commandments, they give offerings of atonement. But when we look at a free will offering in this psalm, you know, David doesn't really seem to be overfilled with blessings. He's in a moment of lament and crisis, but it doesn't really seem that he's broken a a law or commandment of God, but he gives a free will offering. And when you look at this, this example in the rest of the Bible, we get an interesting understanding of what it means. In fact, in Exodus chapter 35, we'll continue our Exodus story. We see that God brings his people out of Egypt he, he takes them through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai where he gives them the Ten Commandments. But then he also gives his people the, the parameters and the diameters, the instructions to build the tabernacle. And, and what does it take to build something but supplies? And this is what we read in Exodus 35, verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. You see, God's people do not give out of blessings of thanksgiving or out of atoning for sins, but they simply give because of who God is. From their hearts, they are moved to give to God because of who he is, his nature. And what we're going to see is they don't receive anything in return. They're not going to get their supplies back. They're giving to let go of it. We see that a free will offering is a Offering is a humble submission to God out of pure devotion without any obligation besides love for the Father, Yahweh. Let me try to explain what a free will offering is not, and hopefully that kind of puts some flesh on it. So about a week ago, it was 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, and I had just this urge for a donut. And, and stick with me, not only a donut, but a Gibson's Chocolate-covered old-fashioned. So good. But the problem was, it was 2.30 in the afternoon, which is not a normal time to be eating, and especially not a time to be eating a donut. So I was kind of stuck in a pickle, and I was thinking, how how can I justify getting this, this afternoon snack? And I remembered my wonderful, beautiful wife, Natalie, was having a rough day at work, and it hits me. You know, I'm gonna go to Gibson's I'll get her favorite donut as a surprise for when she gets home. And, you know, while I'm there, I might as well pick one up for myself. Well, just to make a short, uh, long story short, she saw through my, my donut offering. And this is not what we would call a free will offering because my motivation was not in the right place. I was getting something out of it. The whole purpose of the donut offering was to get one myself. My, my stomach moved me, not my heart or my adoration for the one I was giving it to. So back to our original question, what is it that sustains David in this moment of dysfunction? What, what carries us as believers today in these moments of dysfunction? And what we see is David remembers and celebrates his love and devotion for God. 
He is reminded of his love for God and is first and foremost, not for what God gives him or what God can do for him, but simply who God is, Yahweh. I am who I am. So I think the question we need to ask is, what does it look like to give a free will offering? And I think here at Highland, we just did this a few weeks ago with our outreach contribution. You gave generously for the work of God's kingdom. And, you know, you're not going to be getting that back. You're not going to be returning any of those resources that you gave generously. And that is a free will offering. But when we think about David in this psalm, in his circumstances, this is not David on the throne. This is David on the run. He does not have his, his palace and his wealth and his possessions. All he has is who he is. And this leads us to ask the question, well, then what is a spiritual offering? What does it look like for us to give of ourselves to God? Like David does in the psalm. And you might be thinking, well, what, well, what do I have that God would want or what he would need? You might feel like David, where you have nothing to offer but what is beautiful about our relationship with God is that he has made us in his image and with his purpose in mind. Who we are is what God wants as a free will offering. We give of ourselves out of pure adoration to God who does not change. In this psalm, we see God's name is mentioned six times. And as we, as we close this morning, I want us to reread our psalm with a few things in mind. Remembering the weight of God's name, what it meant for God's people, and how they've used it as a practice of remembrance. To keep in mind what a free will offering is, how it's this pure devotion, this pure offering to God because of who he is. And also remember that when we see the word God in the Old Testament, we see that it's, there's many titles for, that could be referring to God, but when we see Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that is specifically referring to God's name, Yahweh. So let's keep those things in mind as we reread Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord Yahweh, for it is good. You have delivered me from all of my troubles. And my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Did, did you catch it there? Did you notice when God's name is used? It's in verse 6. And it's in the same movement, in the same spirit, when David offers himself as a free will offering. It's in that moment when David intimately realigns and reconnects with God. He doesn't use God's name when he's asking to be saved or asking to be heard, but he uses it when he humbly submits himself fully to God for who God is. So we see what sustains David in this moment of dysfunction is that he intimately draws closer with who he knows God to be. He chooses to love and adore God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And through this intimacy, through this drawing close to God, through his offering, David is reminded that God alone sustains in moments of dysfunction. 
So in these moments that could potentially become turning points of disorientation, we as believers, as Christians today, can join in this spiritual practice of remembering God's name. And we learn from the psalm that this is, this remembering is only transformative. It's only sustaining if we authentically reach out to God for who He is. Not what He can give us, not what He can do for us, but simply Yahweh being Yahweh. That we remember God's goodness. This is the part of the sermon where we need to talk about Jesus. Where we have to talk about Jesus. Because now we have a new name to praise and a new name to draw closer with. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. Because just as Exodus was this moment of intimacy with God where he reaches out, saves his people. But not only that, but gives them a name to know. In the same way, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take on flesh, to dwell among his people, that we may understand and know God's goodness and nature even more. Jesus tells us that we know the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. So now we are given a new way to experience the nature of God. And just as Christ came fully into the world, we give ourselves fully to Jesus for who Jesus is the Son of God. This is a name worth remembering. The name of Jesus is what sustains us. And as we move into our time of communion, I hope and pray that you use this spiritual practice. Remember the name of Jesus as you take the bread and the cup, as we celebrate the life and death of Jesus, and that we remember the name that is worthy of praise and devotion this morning.